Good morning. My name is Dwayne Spearman. This is Directional Bible Ministries, a teaching ministry that is called to encourage, disciple, and challenge the people of God. Today is November the 1st, and we are still in the book of Acts, chapter number 26. And today we're going to pick up in verse number 12, chapter 26, verse number 12. And of course, this is Paul telling of his conversion. And as we've been talking about all week, I mean, ever since... I guess uh, chapter number 19, when Paul was in Ephesus and preaching there, and he met Trophimus, and of course he started the riot. <laughs> he met the sons of Sceva, um, and of course he uh, ended up leaving the place after uh, the riot broke out over Diana of the Ephesians. And of course from there he, he traveled um, through Macedonia and through Greece, and he raised brother Eutychus from the dead, and uh, of course he speaks to the Ephesian elders, and then it's first chapter number 21 when Paul ends up in Jerusalem, and of course uh, Agabus, several others told him as soon as he got into Jerusalem, he was going to be bound, he was going to be imprisoned, and all kinds of things, but Paul said, I, I have to go, God's told me to go. God confirmed that he had called him to go as well. Uh, for what you, I, well, you've shared it in Jerusalem, I'm, I want you to share it in Rome, the Lord told him. So Paul was on track. He was doing what God told him to do. And of course, once he arrives in, uh, <clears throat> in Jerusalem, he visits with James and the elders. And of course, uh, they listened. They, they, they received him gladly. He shared what God was doing among the Gentiles, and they shared what God was doing among the Jews. Uh, which was a wonderful occasion, but then they warned him that some of the believing Jews um, were had questions in regards to what Paul was teaching in regards to the law of Moses and circumcision and the customs, and to confirm that Paul had not walked away from these things. Now, bear in mind, we're in chapter 21 here, to confirm that Paul had not walked away from the law of Moses <laughs> and circumcision. You know, we are how many chapters removed from Acts chapter number two, and Paul had not walked away <laughs> from the law of Moses and circumcision and the customs. I mean, just, I mean, think about that for a minute. Uh, told him to go ahead and go into the temple and um, fulfill the vow that he had made with four guys. And then, of course, some rabble rousing Jews from Ephesus, they call him from Asia, to come down and they accused him anyway of doing these things. So he ends up, he meets Lysias, Lysias delivers him from the Jews, he requests to speak to the Jews, remember we gave a little bit of background, the reason the Romans were so on edge was we are on the cusp of the war of the Jews here in 68, uh, which led to 70 and the destruction of Jerusalem under Titus Vespasian. Uh, the Jews were, were under the eye of the Roman authorities uh, because they were troublemakers, uh, and uh, eventually they were going to have to militarily be, be squashed. And um, so Felix couldn't handle them. And Festus, we know, historically couldn't handle them. There were two more governors after that. And then finally, 70 AD, Jerusalem was uh, destroyed. So, you know, there was a lot of... Um, I think that's what was the background of why the Romans were so curious about Paul. You remember the, the, Romans, the Roman captain thought he was... Uh, the Egyptian insurrectionist, and still wouldn't let him go until he had confirmed a few things. That's why he sent him to the council. Of course, the council, you know, they just turned on each other once Paul realized they were part Pharisees, part Sadducees, 
Um, then he ends up in front of Felix, and Felix figures out pretty quickly Paul hadn't done anything wrong uh, in regards to Roman civil law anyway. And then, of course, uh, Felix ends up taking him to Festus, who was his replacement. And then Festus ends up carting him in front of Agrippa. And um, so anyway, all of that, the background, I think is important. When I got into cemetery, I mean seminary, um, some of the classes that we took, while in undergrad you might take New Testament survey, Old Testament survey, the book of Acts, book of Genesis, book of whatever. Once you get into the seminary level, you start looking at background. Uh, okay, this is the book of Acts, but what was going on in the background? You know, uh, what was going on in the background here was the Jews were in full-blown rebellion mode, and the Romans were getting ready to come down on them. You can't get that from just reading those black and white verses, <laughs> unless you know a little bit of history. Um, so, um, but that's what was going on, and that's that's what was feeding the fact that Paul was remaining in custody. And of course, you know. Felix and Festus, it was all about political favors. Politicians have not changed. They're still the same today. They do what's politically expedient for them, not what's necessarily in the best interest, you know, of the accused or the people. Um, so they haven't changed very much. Um, so he ends up in front of uh, Agrippa finally, and of course Agrippa utters those, those famous words, thou almost persuadest me to become a Christian. And we talked about uh, that word when he said that you've almost persuaded me to become a Christian. Um, and I kind of blew your minds because I started looking into that word uh, when he said that um, because the word Christian is used three times in the New Testament. And all three times, um, it, it, Peter used it. And, of course, Peter you know, by no stretch. Um, <clears throat> let me see here. Christian, let me see where that was. Uh, thou almost persuadest me to be a Christian. There you go. Um, you remember I told you how that uh, it's used three times in the Bible, in the New Testament. Um, and, um, and bear in mind, Paul was not preaching the grace gospel at all. Uh, to Agrippa, so why would he use the term Christian unless the term Christian had been associated with the Jews? Um, you know, maybe, like I said, it's because all three places the word Christian is mentioned in the Bible seems to be referring to believing Jews. Uh, Acts eleven twenty six. Now, in Acts 11, chapter number 26, uh, we know full well, I don't think Paul had received the the hidden, the mystery yet. I don't think he received it until somewhere around 13, between 13 and 15. We don't know. Wish I had a line. Wish I could give scripture and verse. But uh, the term uh, simply meant those who believed that Jesus was the Messiah. Um, and of course, that would have been Jews. Uh, and then here in Acts, in Acts 26, 28, when Grippa said, Thou almost persuadest me to be Christian. And then Paul mentions it in 1 Peter 4, 16, Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, and not Paul, but Peter. Peter definitely was not writing to Gentiles. He was writing to Jews. He was writing to kingdom-believing Jews. So, you know, just something to think about. Um, the word, you know, seems to be referring to believing Jews, not necessarily... Uh, you and me. So um, anyway, I think that's something I'm probably getting ahead of myself here, but that's okay. 
having a good time. Uh, I don't know about you, but I have to hear things repeatedly to learn them. Uh, because every time I hear them, I get something different out of it, um, which is good. First time, it just kind of, you know, bounces off the old, uh, the old brain, and and then I start thinking about it. And then the second time, I see something I'd never seen before. That's how I learn. I learn by repetition. I think we all learn by repetition. Um, so anyway, let's pick up in uh, session thirty-eight, chapter twenty-six, verse number twelve. Uh, that's where we find ourselves today. And of course, Paul is here standing before Agrippa. And Paul is sharing his conversion experience. And of course, bear in mind, he's answering the charges that the Jews have leveled against him, which we know is 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 a joke. Uh, the Jews were not standing there uh, trying to accuse. These were unbelieving Jews, by the way. They they it wasn't about the law of Moses or circumcision or the custom. It was the fact that he was preaching this man, Jesus, that he had resurrected from the dead, which had damning implications for them who had killed him. So in verse number 11, And I punished them often in every synagogue and impelled them to blaspheme and be exceedingly mad against them. I persecuted them even under strange cities, whereupon, as I went to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priest. So notice Paul says that he is he's sharing his pre-conversion experience when he was a good Pharisee, and he was acting violently against those who were following this Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, and notice he says that I persecuted these followers of Jesus of Nazareth into the synagogues. Um, they, just like Paul, after his conversion on the roads in Damascus, and even throughout the book of Acts, continued to worship in the synagogues uh, and part- continued to participate in the temple. Um, I did a little word search just a minute ago. I started thinking about this. Um, let's see, if we just do the New Testament Gospels and Acts, um, how, many, how often it says that they went into the temple after Acts chapter number 2. Acts 2.46, and they continued daily in one accord in the temple. And they met the guy at the gate of the temple uh, as they were entering into the temple, uh, who seeing Peter go into the temple in Acts chapter number 3. And then in Acts 5 and Acts chapter 19, uh, you know, uh, and Paul took them in the next day and entered into the temple, Acts chapter number 21. You see, there was not this break from the synagogues or the temple after Acts chapter number two, as you would think. I mean, you. I mean, the way you look at it, the way it's taught, you you would think that after Acts chapter number two, the first Baptist church of Jerusalem was founded down the corner, and the Jews just, you know, the believing Jews just broke all fellowship with synagogues and the temple. They didn't. Why? Because they were still under the law. They were still very much under the law. Again, just things that you know in the past. You you look at it. We see the Bible through the filter that we were given. And if you were given a filter that leans toward the Acts 2 model, then that's what you're going to see. Um, we, I, I told somebody this the other day, referring to politics, uh, we and our culture do not read uh, anymore for information. We read for confirmation. Or we, we, don't, we, don't, we don't listen for information. We listen for confirmation. Uh, that 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 pours over into every aspect of our lives, even in watching the news. I mean, we want we we want confirmed what we've already decided to be true. That's why you know 
the left watches one set of news channels and the right watches another set of news channels. Because if I sit and watch the left news channels, I want to throw something through the television. <laughs> but we allow that same thing to enter into our study of the Bible. You know, well, I'm a Baptist, B-A-P-T-I-S-T, and we've got baptism. And, you know, we got we got all these uh, beliefs that these filters that we were given. And I, I personally, the only way I began to grow was when I started to shed those filters and begin to look at the Word of God in the context, word upon word, verse upon verse, chapter upon chapter, and the words in the temple stay throughout the book of Acts. Why were they still going to the temple if there was not a if there was not a, a break at that time? Because there hadn't been a break at that time. That's why. So, and understand the problem that Paul had with them, the ones that he was per- persecuting prior to his conversion experience, then was the exact same problem that his accusers were having with him now. They believed and were teaching the resurrection. Okay, the resurrection was offensive uh, to them. At midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun shining around about me, and them that journeyed with me. So them that journeyed with him saw it. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I, only I, heard the voice speaking unto me, saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It's hard for thee to kick against the prick. So once again, Paul gives his testimony about his conversion experience. This is the third time that Paul has given his his conversion testimony in the book of Acts. Now, once again, remember that Paul did not get his new name until after he had received the mystery. Prior to that, he was always referred to as Saul. But for some reason in Acts 13.9, and then Saul, who's also called Paul, and then from that point forward, he's referred to as Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes upon him. And then a few verses later, Paul lays out the first clear presentation of the grace gospel. Uh, There's no repentance in it. There's no baptism in it. It says, Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins, and by him all that believe are justified from all things from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. Wait a minute. (laughs) Paul's being accused of not preaching the law of Moses. Well, he did preach the law of Moses to the Jews, but he did not preach the law of Moses to the Gentiles. Um, the body of Christ, under the grace gospel, we are saved not by the law of Moses, but by belief in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, there's a difference, and Les Feldick does a real good job of pointing this out as he teaches through. You know, there's a difference between believing in the name and believing in the, the, the resurrection. Um, so just something interesting. Uh, another interesting thing we pick up from this third time is that for the first time, we're told that the voice spoke to him in the Hebrew tongue. Not that that makes a big difference, but it would make sense that he would have spoke to him in Hebrew and not Aramaic or something else. And then verse 15, and I said, who art thou Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest, but rise and stand upon thy feet for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose. This is why I'm appearing to you, to make you a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen, in other words, what you're seeing right now, and the things that I will appear unto thee. And, of course, 
when he says, I will appear unto thee. In other words, things that I'm going to reveal to you later. So Paul didn't get the full dose in Acts chapter 9 on the Damascus Road. Paul obviously experienced revelations that followed uh, that initial experience with the Lord on the road to Damascus. And he talks about that in 2 Corinthians 2, 1. It is, not exp- it is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come. That's future. I will come to visions and revelations. Paul continued to receive. And that's progressive revelation. Some people don't like it when you use the term progressive revelation. But it's obvious that Paul did not fully comprehend, understand that the nation of Israel had been put on the back burner. They were in the process of being put on the back burner, that the kingdom was being postponed and the rapture of the church, Paul didn't understand that. I believe that when Paul received his his Acts chapter number 9 conversion, he went out preaching the resurrection. Why? Because he saw the guy on the Damascus Road. So he's preaching the resurrection that this Christ had indeed risen from the dead. And the only thing anyone knew at that time was the kingdom gospel. So if Paul preached anything, it had to have been the kingdom gospel. It wouldn't have been late. It wouldn't have been until later that Paul received the the grace gospel that just required belief, so he couldn't have preached it between 9 and when he finally received it, maybe in chapter number 13. You know, we just, we're just not sure. I just know that's the first time that he's referred to as, as Paul, and that's the first time that he lays out the grace gospel. So the Lord revealed it unto him in 2 Corinthians 12, 17, and lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelation. So there was obviously more than one that was given unto me a thorn in the flesh, a message of Satan to buffet me. So Paul did receive revelations. And uh, it's important that we not forget that. He, so he says, I will, I will make you a minister and a witness, both of these things which you've seen and those things which I will appear unto thee. And that word appear is reveal, that I will expose you to. Delivering thee from the people, referring to the Jews, and from the Gentiles, unto whom now I send thee. Okay? So, um, and then notice verse 18. To do what? To open their eyes. To turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan unto God. Now, bear in mind, Paul is sharing his Damascus Road conversion experience which is pre-grace experience. So whatever he's sharing now is still in the mode of kingdom. Uh, So he says, I'm going to open their eyes, to open their eyes, referring to the Jews, and to turn them from darkness to light. And even if it is referring to Gentiles here, it's not, you know, maybe the Lord's looking forward, but in Paul's mind, he didn't know what God was planning to do with the Gentiles. He just knew that God's ultimate plan was to to come and redeem the nation of Israel, bring them into that new covenant, and the Jews would be the royal priests that would go forth and and share with the Gentiles. So that's that's all Paul. Paul only understood Old Testament context. He didn't have what you and I are looking at today. Um so he can only share what he knew. Uh, you only know what you know, right? <laughs> so um, he says to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light. So I think that when Paul received that that uh, that Damascus Road revelation, I mean, he just went out and said, well, God's calling me to do 
what the Old Testament prophets said we're supposed to do, which is, you know, preach to the nation of Israel uh, and ultimately to the Gentiles. I mean, that's that's all Paul had to run on at that point. I mean, you can't put more in his head than he actually knew. He didn't know it. You know, we have the we have sometimes the gift of the curse of hindsight. We kind of look like and we we look back and we assume a lot of things. No, you got to look at who he is, where he is, and what he knew. That's all he knew. He hadn't received the revelation of the mystery in Acts chapter number 9. So he's sharing here uh, his conversion experience and what he knew at that time. Okay? Um, so let me get back. To open their eyes, uh, turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins. Ooh, that sounds gracie. Yeah, well, forgiveness of sins, I mean, that's that's not necessarily gracie. I mean, that is uh, part of both Gospels. And inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith, that is in me. So the message that was given to him was for them to turn from darkness to light, them being the nation of Israel. At first glance, it might be easy to conclude, like many, that Paul is talking about the grace gospel. But this, it's not so. He's sharing his Damascus Road experience. There was no grace gospel at that point. Forgiveness is common to both gospels, uh, as, as is Gentiles through proselytization. So Paul was not only sent to the Jews from his conversion in Acts 19, but also to the Gentiles. The Great, the great Commission, Go ye in all world and preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost. All that applied to the Jews with the kingdom gospel. The Great Commission doesn't apply uh, to the body of Christ. We have the ministry of reconciliation. Uh, we don't baptize people. We don't tell people to keep the commandments. That's all law. That has nothing to do with grace. I mean, think about that. Um, the gospels are similar. But that does not make them the same. Uh, this will become glaringly obvious when we get down into verse 20 and 22. Remember that Moses and the prophets said nothing about the grace gospel. So when Paul starts talking, uh, notice in verse, um, when I say that, Moses and the prophets, what I'm doing is I'm skipping down because in verse number number 22, I'm going to talk about Moses and the prophets that he's going to talk about. So he could only share what Moses and the prophets had told him and what little bit of revelation he had received on the Damascus Road. Uh, and then notice he says, Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. In other words, I did what the Lord told me to do in Acts chapter 9, but showed first unto them a Damascus, and then those in Jerusalem, and throughout all the coasts of Judea, and then to the Gentiles. And we know that when he went up into Antioch, there were Gentiles there. Uh, like I said, the word Christian was first used at Antioch, but we have no confirmation that Paul had received the gospel of grace in Antioch. They were just Gentiles that had believed the kingdom message, which is all Paul knew and all Paul preached. They believed in the resurrection. So, you know, just historically, it's hard to figure out where God, where Paul received the grace gospel and start drawing hard lines. I wish we could. Um, so notice he says, Whereupon King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but showed first unto them at Damascus, and then at Jerusalem, 
And you remember he went from Damascus to Jerusalem throughout all the coasts of Judea and ended up with the Gentiles. That they should do what? Repent and turn to God. So if he's preaching repentance and turning to God, to Jew and Gentile, he's preaching law. And do works meet for repentance. So again, that he wasn't preaching the grace gospel at this point. So he says, I did exactly what the Lord told me to do. Um, so I've already commented on all of this, I believe. Paul's still trying to defend the accusations that he was still teaching the Mosaic Law. Why? Because he was still teaching the Mosaic Law. That had been made against him, that he was teaching against the law. But he wasn't teaching against the law. Further evidence that Paul was preaching the kingdom gospel, that they should repent, turn to God, and do works. That's not grace that Paul's talking about there. Verse 21, And for these causes the Jews caught me in the temple and went about to kill me. Um, again, um, Paul is stating that the reason the Jews are determined to kill him is because he was not only preaching the resurrection to the Jews, but he was preaching to the Gentiles. That's what cheesed them off. You remember in Acts 22, 20, um, when Paul said, depart, for I would, the, when Paul said, the Lord told me to depart far from hence unto the Gentiles, and they gave audience unto this word, and then lifted up their voice against them and said, away with such a fellow. And then notice verse 22, having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day, witnessing both to small and great, saying none of the things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come. So, again, God delivered Paul, you know. I, I believe he delivered him in a very natural way at the hands of the Roman chief, Lysias, the Roman captain. Um, Paul is also saying that everything he taught to both small and great was according to the law of Moses or was according to the things that the law that the prophets and the Moses said would happen. In other words, I'm not teaching anything outside of, of Scripture here. And, and understand, Paul wasn't teaching anything outside of Scripture. And remember that Jesus fulfilled the promises and the prophecies of the Old Testament. So he's just saying, I'm, I'm preaching Jesus is the fulfillment of these things because the Old Testament looks to Jesus. Um, Moses said in Deuteronomy 18.15, For the Lord thy God will raise unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, and of thy brethren look unto me, unto him ye shall like unto me, unto him ye shall hearken. I'm not teaching anything that Moses didn't teach. Um, and then he says, or what the prophets taught. I did a little, uh, little search here, and uh, I'll show it to you, what the prophets taught. And uh, I'll show this to you. Um, there we go. This this website had 351 Old Testament prophecies fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Um, and if you go down through here, I mean, especially when you get over, well, the Psalms definitely looks to it. Born a Savior, trusted God to deliver him. He was on the cross. My God, why have you forsaken me? All in the book of Psalms. And then when you get over into the into the prophets, I mean, all this, son of David, ridiculed. In other words, he said, I'm not preaching anything that was not taught or foretold by Moses and the prophets. I'm just teaching the Jewish scriptures. 
So Paul's message to the Jewish nation was well grounded in the scripture, which, by the way, did not speak of the age of grace. Okay, uh, Scott says, so was Paul carrying out the Great Commission? I believe so. Um, I believe that, that he was um, carrying out the Great Commission. I mean, that's all he knew as he's preaching the kingdom gospel. Uh, I think the Great Commission ideally should have been fulfilled and carried out by the Jewish people alone. Uh, they would go from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the uttermost, but it really nef- never left Jerusalem. <laughs> the apostles never left Jerusalem. Uh, it was rejected, uh, and the kingdom offer was eventually removed, but the, but the Great Commission was given to them under the kingdom gospel, not to us under the grace gospel. Hope that makes sense. Um, so yeah, I think Paul was only running with what he knew. Uh, at that time. And bear in mind, he had met with Peter. Um, he had been brought up to date as far as with, with Ananias. He knew what had gone on. Um, and then notice he says, just for context, having therefore obtained help of God, I continue into this day doing what? Witnessing both to small and great, just like he told me to, saying none other things except those which the prophets, which which the prophets and Moses did say should come. In other words, I'm just walking in the truth that was revealed in the Old Testament. And then notice that Christ should suffer and that he should be first that should rise from the dead and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. Remember that the Old Testament foretold of the suffering Christ rising from the dead to redeem the Jewish nation who would reach the Gentiles. That was plan A. Paul was simply walking in plan A. So if Paul is walking in plan A, then yes, he's carrying out the Great Commission. He's walking in plan A. Um, in Isaiah 42.1, Behold my servant whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him, and he shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. It was always God's plan to reach the Gentiles, but he wanted to do it through the Jewish nation who refused it. Isaiah 49, 6, and he said, It is a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob, to restore the preserved of Israel. See, that should have happened if they would have accepted the message of the kingdom. And I will also give thee, the nation of Israel, for a light to the Gentiles. Okay? Um, That thou, Israel, may beest my salvation unto the ends of the earth. God wanted to use the Gentiles to, I mean, the Jews to fulfill the Great Commission. Isaiah 61 through 3 Arise, shine, for the light has come upon thee, the glory of the Lord has risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness will cover the earth and gross darkness the people, but the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee, and the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and the kings to the brightness of thy rising. And again, there's there's just, you can pull out all kinds of verses from the Old Testament. Zechariah 8, 23, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, In those days it shall come to pass that ten men shall take hold out of all languages of the nations, even shall take hold of the skirt of him that is a Jew, saying, We will go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. That was plan A. Okay, remember we've talked about this. This was plan A. This is what should have happened. 
This is what could have happened. This is what would have happened if they would have accepted the kingdom offer, but they didn't. So this is what happened. <laughs> okay. Uh, this is what happened as a result of the rejection, the diminishing. Uh, God began to uh, turn away from Israel, and Paul was raised up with the grace gospel by receiving the mystery to the Gentiles. But again, uh, we're going to be taken up one day in the rapture. There's no way around the rapture, by the way. I mean, you know, I, I, just, I mean, they, and if you rightly divide the word of truth, there's no way around the rapture. Uh, if you incorrectly divide the word of truth, yeah, you can, you can dance your way out of it. But the, the church is going to have to be taken up, the body of Christ, and then God will once again turn his attention to the nation of Israel, fulfilling Daniel's 70th week. But see, they should have rolled right into Daniel's 70th week, but they didn't because they rejected the, the offer of the kingdom there. So, so the Great Commission included this same plan. And, you know, we talked about that in Matthew 28. Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them, obviously that's kingdom, in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, that's works, and lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end. I mean, that was given to the nation of Israel with the kingdom gospel, to the apostles to carry the kingdom gospel out. And then notice in verse 24, And as he thus spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Much learning hath made thee mad. But he said, I'm not mad, most noble Festus, but I speak forth the words of truth and soberness. It's interesting that Festus blurts out that Paul is crazy. He's beside of himself. He's having an out of, how can you be beside yourself <laughs> unless you're having an out of body experience? Uh, he says, you're out of your mind. I mean, you're, you're outside of yourself. Much learning hath made thee mad. Um, I believe that as a Gentile, he thought that the idea of the dead coming back to life was already far-fetched enough, let alone all these prophecies and hopes that were hanging upon this resurrection. In other words, Festus is like, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Um, and then notice in verse 26, for the king knoweth these things. Now, Paul continues addressing Agrippa, For the king knoweth these things, before whom also I speak freely. For I am persuaded, I'm convinced, that none of these things are hidden from him. And of course, it's almost like he's looking at Festus, but he's talking about Agrippa. For this thing was not done in a corner. So Paul is relying, I believe, on, on Agrippa's Edomite past, saying that he should know these things that I'm talking about. Uh, and Paul says, none of this stuff was done in a corner. In other words, the, the whole world, Jesus, everybody knows about Jesus. Everybody knows about this crucifixion. All these witnesses that said he did indeed rise from the dead, this, this stuff wasn't going, done in a corner. The whole world was aware that something was special about this man, Jesus. Um, and then notice King Agrippa Believest thou the prophets? I mean, do you believe the prophets? You know, referring to Moses. I know that you do. I know that thou believest. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to 
be a Christian. And this is where I jumped ahead of myself at the beginning of the study. But apparently, uh, Paul knew that Agrippa believed the Old Testament scriptures. Agrippa's response is interesting in that he says, you almost persuade me to be a Christian. And again, why would he say Christian? Paul hasn't used the word Christian. Paul is defending himself by saying, I am keeping the law of Moses. I am teaching circumcision. I am teaching the customs. And then Agrippa says, you almost persuade me to be a Christian. Again, maybe it's because in all three places the word Christian is mentioned in the Bible, it's referring to Jews. Um, again, uh, Acts eleven twenty six is where they were first called Christians at Antioch. Had Paul received the revelation of the mystery in Acts chapter 11? I don't think so. I don't think he'd received it by that point. But um, And then Acts 26, 28 here. And then Peter refers to it, like I said. He sure was not referring to Gentiles. Peter didn't preach to Gentiles. He took the kingdom message to the nation of Israel. And we have to remember that. I mean, it, it'll totally revolutionize the way you look at the Bible when you realize that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the majority of the book of Acts has everything to do with the nation of Israel. And Hebrews through Revelation has everything to do with the nation of Israel. The only thing that is really applicable to you and I today in the body of Christ is Romans through Philemon. That's it. Romans through Philemon is where he's dealing with the church, the body of Christ, the grace gospel. Now, you have to be careful. you got to remember who he's writing to when he writes to the Corinthians, when he writes to the Ephesians, um, who he's addressing, and watch those personal pronouns, lest ye err, <laughs> because Paul does use them and they, us and them, uh, a, a few times, and you need to remember that or you'll misinterpret those. And that's a path I'm going down. There is not a commentary <laughs> that I have written. There is not a Bible study that I have given uh, in the past 35 years that I have not already begun to call into question uh, because I didn't see these things. I would open my Bible in First Peter, and I would immediately find the church in First Peter. Church isn't in First Peter. Uh, it's not in Second Peter. It's not in Hebrews. It's not in First, Second, Third John. It's not in Jude. <laughs> so now it's it's making me go back. I had somebody the other day contact me and said, hey, can I get your commentaries on the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation? I shared this with Scott the other day. And I wanted to say, no, you can't. <laughs> because, um, you know, half of it I would have to redact. <laughs> because, I again, I was seeing those books through the lens of Church Born in Acts chapter number 2, in uh, the book of Revelation, the, the Hebrew epistles are all about the church. So if you interpret it through that lens, then that's what you're going to find. Uh, so I'm going to have to go back all through those things, uh, to be honest with you. Um, I sent them to him uh, with, a, uh, with a note saying, I have changed my views in regards to much that is here. And I would encourage you to listen to me uh, as I'm teaching through the book of Acts uh, to find out how. So, um, so anyway, just think about that. Thou almost persuadest me to be a Christian. 
Context, context, context. The verse before, the verse after. Uh, Paul is not sharing the grace gospel with Agrippa at this point. He is simply telling him what he did um, after his conversion experience in regards to the nation of Israel. So Agrippa's response, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. Uh, Again, can't help but point out the word persuade. That means to convince by argument is true or false. Um, We need to be people like that today. Um, We need to be people, and of course, you you guys that are following me at this point in my teaching, I'm sure that you've already learned that if you stick your neck out far enough, if you walk out far enough on that limb and you start saying things that question the the filtered narrative that the vast majority of Christians have in regards to the book of Acts, you're going to get some snapback. Can I get an amen? Because they're going to look at you funny. Uh, because it totally confronts covenant theology. It totally confronts Pentecostalism, uh, the, the modern-day charismatic movement. Uh, it forces you to um, really question those things because if the church wasn't born in Acts chapter number 2, the grace gospel was not being preached until probably around Acts chapter number 13, then why are we getting back to Acts? <laughs> you know, How many sermons have I heard going back to Acts, getting back to Acts? I've preached some. I've got them recorded if I haven't deleted them already. Um, it's going to challenge the way you think. And most people, they're going to look at you like you're a heretic uh, because, you know, but does whether or not the church was born in Acts 2 or Acts 13 with Paul's conversion, Paul being the first one in, according to Timothy, I mean, does that really change the fundamental doctrines, the, the, the deity of Christ, the atonement, the virgin birth, the inspiration of Scripture, the second coming, um, f- faith? Uh, does that change any of those things? No, but I do believe that if we're running around teaching repentance and baptism as compared to simply belief, that's two different things. One is a kingdom gospel that's being preached in a time when it is no longer offered. So it's a work salvation. And I believe we're going to roll into the book of Galatians, I'm fairly convinced, That's what Paul was talking about when he said, how can you start in the spirit? Now, all of a sudden, you're back. You know, he's saying, you know, if you mix those two together, you end up with no gospel at all. So, unfortunately, I believe a lot of the church is preaching no gospel at all. I mean, they're preaching error. Um, You know, you got to believe. You got to have faith, but you got to repent. You got to be baptized. You got to keep the commandments. You got to do the works. You know, again, you're taking two Gospels and cramming them together, and you're coming up with nothing. So that's the danger that I see for sure. But the word persuade, that means we need to study. We need to reason with people. We need to um, debate with people. Those that are truly interested, most aren't. Why? Because most people are lazy. Uh, They don't want to do the hard work. They'd rather just go to the 11 o'clock a.m. service and get spoon-fed a three-part sermon on how God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and wise and go home. Uh, They just want to be spoon-fed. 
They don't want to rightly divide the word of truth. I saw this meme the other day, pastors feed and lead, and sheep follow and swallow. Isn't that the truth? Uh, Most people just believe what they're taught. That's patently false. We should never follow and swallow. Uh, We need to question everything that we're being told. Everything. And it doesn't matter who's telling you it. If I'm telling you it, your pastor's telling you it, the seminary's telling you that, you need to study yourself and see if these things be true. Again, we're dividing truth from truth. Not necessarily truth from error, but truth from truth. Maybe what you're saying is true. Repentance and baptism is true, but not for this dispensation. So again, like I said, you're dividing truth from truth. And Paul said, I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day were both almost and all together such as I am. So here's, we see Paul's desire that not only Agrippa, but also the entire nation would come to faith in Jesus of Nazareth. And then he says, verse 30, And when he had thus spoken, the king rose up, and the governor and Bernice, and they that sat with them. And when they were gone aside, they talked between themselves in very hushed tones, and said, This man doeth nothing worthy of death or of bonds. Then said Agrippa unto Festus, This man might have been set at liberty if he had not appealed to Caesar. Confirmation at last. Paul done nothing wrong as far as Rome was concerned. The interesting thing that we see here is why didn't they just dismiss Paul at this point? Okay, fine. We don't see anything wrong. Why did they still let him appeal to Caesar? As a matter of fact, you remember Festus was looking for something to write to Caesar to accuse this man of. So did they make something up to Caesar? Truth be known, they wanted to get rid of him. Background, background, background. They wanted to get rid of him because of what was going on among the Jews. And I believe God was going to use it to get this man to Rome. There you go. (laughs) And then Tuesday, uh, we will break into chapter number 27 and continue our study. And again... I think we're going to roll into the book of Acts. So let's see here. God bless you guys. It's good to see you, and I pray you continue to grow. Should we even baptize for any reason, Mac said. Um, Well, Mac, um, baptism, even communion, uh, really has everything to do with the nation of Israel. But... I personally don't have a problem with either of those as long as they are symbolic. Um, uh, you know, baptism is, you know, if you're teaching baptismal regeneration as salvific, yeah, I mean, that's heresy. But the thing is, it was at one time. <laughs> you know, when the apostles did it, it was required. You had to repent and be baptized in order to receive the Holy Ghost. But today, if we are baptized, it's purely symbolic. So I wouldn't refuse someone from baptism, but I wouldn't make it a big deal. I think, uh, so, I mean, I don't have a problem with baptizing people. Um, You know, communion, we just need to remember what it's about. The communion was in, in regards to the nation of Israel being restored um, and uh, the new covenant 
the new covenant has nothing to do with us. So everything baptism and communion stands for really doesn't have anything directly to do with us. Uh, And Paul says, I'm glad I didn't baptize any of you. I didn't come preaching baptism. So Paul didn't do it. So personally, it's not something that I will run with moving forward. Uh, But I'm certainly not offended with people that do do it, as long as they understand the context of why they're doing it. It's not for salvation. It's not for a new covenant. (laughs) Um, But, you know, Paul didn't preach it, like Scott said. It's not in Romans through Philemon, (laughs) you know. So, again, I mean, that'll... That'll that'll get the disciples of Christ and uh, and the Baptist upset for sure um, because of that. And of course, those that teach baptismal regeneration. Uh, let's see, those that teach you got to speak in tongues to be saved. Those that believe the the proof of the filling of the Spirit is speaking in tongues. I mean, yeah, we we just offended them all there. Uh, again, when you back up and look at the Book of Acts, what does it say? Um. Very important. So I hope that helps. Uh, God bless you guys. Hope you have a great day. My wife says she's hungry. So uh, (laughs) love you guys, man. Remember always, God wants the best for you. He's working all things out for our good, even if it doesn't look like that. Uh, Be praying. Election is right around the corner. My goodness. What's this nation going to look like? You know, but hey, you know, we talk about revival. You know, I hear preachers talk about revival all the time. Um, To be revived means you were once vived. So revive is to rewake. I think the church needs to wake up. Uh, I think the body of Christ needs to wake up. And and I can tell you historically, um, the church thrives far better during bad times than it does during good times. I can tell you that more people turn to God during bad times than they do good times. And I can also tell you historically, revival usually comes at great cost. Um, I trust the Lord. Um, I don't trust the donkey or the elephant. Uh, Personally, I've got my dithers as to who I think and want to win because I value things. Uh, just like you do, comfort, security, stuff like that. Uh, but God's will be done. And uh, the only thing I can do, the only thing you guys can do, is just preaching the Word of God, rightly dividing the Word of truth, drawing all men to Him. God bless you guys. Have a great weekend.